Election College, Episode 129, Air Force One. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Hey, Jason, what costs $206,000, well, approximately, per hour to operate? What do you, what do you think that is? Like a Uber or something? Mm-hmm. Um, no, not Uber. No, the okay. Taxis. Taxis, yes. So the president rides in taxis. Mm-hmm. So that's... Big yellow taxi. That's the episode for this week. Enjoy... I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> it is Air Force One. Air Force One is expensive to operate. You got a bunch of staff. You got a bunch of fuel. You got a bunch of probably missiles and stuff. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but it's not cheap to operate. Yeah, and for those of you who don't know what Air Force One is, it is any Air Force plane that carries the president. So it could be a plane that could be any number of particular aircraft, but while the chief executive is in there and he's a passenger, yeah, it's known as Air Force One. Right, yeah, so... Uh, there are specific planes, and we're going to talk about all this in more depth, but there are specific planes that are actually known as Air Force One or that are designated to be the plane for the president. But, you know, they could be riding in a good old passenger aircraft that, that you're on your family vacation on, and that plane could be Air Force One if it needed to be. Chances are that's never going to happen in your lifetime, but it is possible. Yeah, it actually happened, kind of. Yeah. Several decades ago. That's true. So I guess if you're several decades old like us, it, it's possible. Yeah. But not in the future, though. No. <laughs> so we only uh, talk about the past. That's right. Uh, if you think about what is America, Air Force One is America. I mean, not just the fact that the president is on it, but it's got the words United States of America printed across it. It's got the American flag. It's got the seal of the president of the United States. Eagles soar around its wings and lift it up. Um, just that part's not true, but other than that, Aww. it is America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So presidents, they've been flying in aircraft ever since. Well, the early days, back way back in 1910, Teddy Roosevelt became the first U.S. president to fly, and he flew in one of those old-time Wright brothers type airplanes yeah he was in missouri and uh well he wasn't in office at the time but you know he was a former president and he was flying right yeah there was a little bit of a crowd uh there at a county fair and they were all just hanging out saying hey look cool there's a president in one of those crazy flying machines wonder what's gonna happen do you think it was a rough (laughs) ride (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, i get it i get it um no but <laughs> prior to World War II, you kind of have to figure that if the president wants to go overseas, they're not going to do that uh, very easily. It's going to be hard to do that in a boat. It takes too much time, but you know they do that occasionally. And it also is hard because planes aren't real sophisticated for a long time. 
But as soon as you get into the late 1930s, you see the Douglas DC-3, and more people are flying. It's becoming more of a common way to trans uh, to have transportation, and becomes cheaper as well. And here comes FDR. Yeah, so FDR, you know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, he was the first president to fly while in office. So basically, the lesson so far is, if your last name is Roosevelt, yeah. you're going to fly. That's right. And the first plane that was set aside for the president was a Douglas Dolphin Amphibian, which was delivered in 1933. And the Navy, they were the people in charge of it. So the Navy, they have a base, right? You're yeah. the capital. Okay. And that's where the Dolphin was based out right of. Right at the Potomac there. Somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably, a secret base. Yeah. Yeah. You can't see it. Right. Can you imagine being in the 30s and there is this base that nobody can see? Yeah. I don't think that's true. No. <laughs> so the, <laughs> the Dolphin was a pretty cool plane because... Well, hey, it landed on water, right? Like and in DuckTales. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, that's You're good. Yeah, I know. So they had all this nice upholstery and four people could fly in it and it had a sleeping compartment. So FDR, he could fly really nice in style aboard this aircraft and he used it, well, for about six years until 1939. Yeah, and one of the you know one of the big things is that in during World War II, you don't really want to be in a boat going across the ocean. No, because there's like lots of submarines and the Germans are out to get you. So they flew a lot more, and as they're flying a lot more, the president's like, you know what? All these smelly people with their shoes off next to me that are flying like to see Uncle Joe and stuff. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't mean to be rude, but I don't want to fly next to them. Could we, like, get me my own plane? Yeah. And the military was like, well, of course you can, Mr. President. So they get this Dixie Clipper. And the crew aboard the Dixie Clipper was, if you're going to fly anywhere international in the 30s and in the 40s even, they're going to be Pan Am people. So it was a Boeing 314 flying boat, which is an amazing airplane. If you ever have an opportunity to get on the internet, which I hear is pretty easily accessible. It's all the rage. Yeah. Yeah. The internet hop on there and, and Google that or Bing it if you desire. No, you won't find it. Yeah. It has to be Google. (laughs) So it's a 314 Boeing 314. It's a flying boat. And you remember that famous conference that, FDR and Churchill and Stalin attended. Yeah, the Casablanca conference in Morocco, 1943. Uh-huh. That's what FDR flew in. That flight covered five and a half thousand miles. Uh, now, they didn't do it nonstop. It that wasn't been three legs. Yeah. That would have been crazy. Yeah. But it sure made transatlantic transportation a whole lot easier and a whole lot safer. For sure. And, you know, there are a couple different iterations proposed for official planes. Uh, the C-87 was a, uh, they were ready to go with it. And then they were like, you know what? It actually has kind of a controversial service record. Um, people die on it a lot and it crashes. So the Secret Service is like, nope. 
Uh, we're not doing that. But the president's wife can write on it, and you know, senior members of the of the administration. <laughs> that's fine, but not the president. Uh, so they actually got rid of the C eighty seven entirely in nineteen forty five. However, the Secret Service did say that a Douglas C-54 Skymaster could be used for presidential transport. And, um, you know, they, they named one the Sacred Cow. And it had, of course, a sleeping area. And uh, there was a, a, a elevator for Roosevelt to, um, to get in with his wheelchair and everything. Of course, it had a, a radio telephone, which you can, you can talk on the phone in the air. Now that's cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they, he went to the Yalta conference in February of 1945, shortly before he died. And when he did, Harry Truman becomes president. Yeah. So, you know, the Air Force, it's a fairly young branch of uh-huh. the military, yeah. dating back to the mid-40s. Well, the same legislation that created the United States Air Force, woohoo, which this was called the National Security Act of 1947. Well, Truman, he's on board the plane, and why not? They named the plane Independence. Yeah. For those of you who know anything about Truman, you know he's from Independence, right? Independence, Missouri. They named the plane the Independence, and this was the first aircraft that was called Air Force One. It had a really cool, distinctive exterior had a bald eagle head painted on the nose right on the face of it nice yeah so the uh the fact came up that they were flying around and there's another airline that has the same call signal as the one that the president is on at the time Oops. and they're trying to figure out what's going on and nobody can so they decide we need to avoid this no other plane can be called air force one and this is called Air Force One forever, no matter what plane the president's on. So the first official flight of Air Force One is in 1959, while Eisenhower is the president. And Eisenhower introduces this uh, four-propeller-driven aircraft. And, you know, it's the Lockheed C-121 Constellations. It's the Columbine II. Uh, it's the VC-121E, which is the Columbine 3. So there's a lot of different planes that are getting kind of cycled out. This is, a, uh, as we know, a big era of innovation for airplanes, let alone for presidential airplanes. And then a couple years later, we move into the era of the Boeing 707s. Yeah, so a lot of us are going to really resonate with the 707 because, hey, it's a jet. And Ike is the first president to really use this thing and go places. He has, if you remember us talking about this back in 1959, I mean, we weren't talking about it in 1959, right. but we were talking about 1959. He goes on a flight to Peace Goodwill tour where he visits 11 Asian nations. He flies over 22,000 miles in 19 days. Yeah, and you know the Columbines that we just mentioned a few minutes ago, they're good, but they're a little slower than the Boeing 707, and he's actually able to fly that 22,000 miles about twice as fast as he could have in one of the Columbines. So, really good. And then we can move into the era of the jet, like, you know, the, the big jets. Uh, the Boeing 707 Sam 26,000, 
was actually the preferred method of uh, Air Force One from Kennedy to Clinton. So this is when the airplanes start looking very familiar. Like when you think of Air Force One, you probably think of the baby blue. You think of where it says United States of America. You think of the American flag on the tail. Well, First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy, she calls up a designer and she's like, hey, we need to really make this look nice. So (laughs) they... Uh, she and the designer, um, they look at this Declaration of Independence, right? A copy of it. And they see the country's name set widely spaced, and it was all in uppercase. And the typeface that they used looks a lot like Caslon. And he's like, hey, that would look pretty sweet on the plane. So they paint United States of America on the plane. They put the presidential seal on it and bamo. That's how you got the livery for Air Force One. Right. Yeah. And the, the same 26,000, uh, if you have ever seen any of the pictures of, uh, Lyndon Johnson going into office, being, uh, taking the oath of office, he's actually aboard the SAM 26,000. And of course, this is the the plane that carried JFK's body back to Washington and um, actually took uh, Johnson back to be buried after his state funeral back to Texas. So uh, the 26,000 has a lot of history and you have definitely seen pictures of it if you've seen any pictures older than George W. Bush's presidency for sure. Yeah. And it's really cool because you can go aboard that very aircraft today. Yeah. If you go to Dayton, Ohio, go to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, where the National Museum of the United States Air Force is located, they have a presidential hangar, presidential airplane hangar, and that very aircraft is there, and you can go aboard it, and it's Kind of a cool feeling being aboard that plane. Yeah, it is. And that whole museum is actually free for any of you guys who are going to go to the Cincinnati area. Uh, you should make a little extra trip up to Dayton. Uh, it's a free museum, and there are planes back from a long, long time ago through the the World Wars and other wars that we've had. And then there's some uh, space exploration um, aircraft there as well. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So Sam uh, 26000 uh, is that plane... But Richard Nixon used another plane, and that was called SAM-27000. And it was used until 1990. And that is the plane that Nixon famously flew to California when he resigned after resigning uh, the presidency. And what ends up happening is, so they take off, the plane is Air Force One, and then Ford becomes president, and then they changed the call signal for Air Force One when he's aboard, when he's over Jefferson City, Missouri. Uh, the pilot radios in, says there's no president aboard the aircraft anymore, and that's when they changed the designation from Air Force One to SAM 27000. Yeah. Good luck to the president. 
That's that's what they came back with whenever they sent in that call sign. Yeah. But anyway, uh, the Sam 27000's last flight as Air Force One was on August 29th, 2001, when George W. Bush flew to Waco in Texas, and uh, it was decommissioned officially there. It was dismantled and taken back to the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library and is on display there at that library. And it's stinking awesome. Yeah. Guys, if you are ever in Simi Valley, go visit the Reagan Presidential Library and go aboard that aircraft because it's actually at an angle and it's overlooking Simi Valley. It's awesome. So there's a couple of field trips for you guys. Go to Dayton, Ohio and go to Simi Valley, California. Yeah. And so we see a couple different more iterations, a couple different more iterations. I think that's what I sure. Meant. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, but we go all the way up to 2001, and uh, President Bush is interrupted on 9/11, where uh, he has to hop on board of Air Force One at the time and fly out. And this is when we find out, you know, Air Force One is basically in the sky by itself. They're the only plane in the sky. I mean, obviously you have a few fighter jets surrounding it, but the only plane in the sky at the time. And we start hearing all this information uh, in the months to pass, the months to follow, uh, about the fact that Air Force One is like a beast. If you want to take on Air Force One, you, you're going to have a problem because you're not going to shoot it down probably. Uh, it's meant to, you know, it's got a lot of uh, explosive resistance. Uh, it has radars out the butt, I guess you can say. <laughs> like, you're not going to get near it without them knowing. You're definitely that, not going to get past the fighter jets. Is that your binders full of women quote? <laughs> it's my binders full of women quote. <laughs> wow, <sure>. Ben. <laughs> it's got radars out the butt. <laughs> uh, but, you know, they're, they're flying all around, and the president is safe. Like, in Air Force One, there is very little chance, not unlike the Harrison Ford movie, that is, uh, there is very little chance that someone's going to be able to to shoot down Air Force One in its current state. And this is kind of the... There's a lot of concerns around 9-11, of course, and many of them are obviously plane-related. And it's a huge fear that the president might be shot down. Uh, but we find out that, yeah, the president's protected in Air Force One as much as a human possibly can be in a plane. Yeah. So Air Force One, it's a pretty safe place to be in, and many other leaders, world leaders, have been aboard at as guests of the president. Um, some of those include Soviet Premier uh, Brezhnev uh, toured California with President Nixon back in 1973. They actually flew all the way from Washington, D.C. to California. Uh, President Reagan hosted Queen Elizabeth II during a West Coast trip. And um, President Obama took British Prime Minister David Cameron to a basketball game (laughs) (laughs) in Ohio aboard Air Force One. So, yeah, chances are if you're a world leader and you're friends with the United States or maybe you're just trying to have some communication with the United States, hey, why not have a meeting aboard Air Force One? So on Air Force One, there are 87 telephones, and that's just including the ones that are 
tied down, not including all the cell phones, of course. <laughs> Who knows if they work or not? Uh, there are 19 TVs. There's a gym. There's lots of other facilities. There's you know an executive office. There are many different bathrooms and bedrooms and everything else like that. And we got two of these things flying around. I mean, they're not always, neither one of them is Air Force One while the other one is. But, uh, you know, you've got lots of room for reporters. You've got room for the secretaries uh, on board. You've got room for uh, hired hands, essentially, who are working on the aircraft at the time. Uh, Air Force One is, like, fit. Like, it's, it's definitely elite. I guess you could say you have elite status if you're on Air Force One. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how with the whole security on aboard Air Force One, basically, if you are lower ranking, uh-huh. <laughs> you can sit towards the back. Yeah. So wherever <laughs> wherever they put you on Air Force One, like if you're in the middle of the plane, you're welcome to go to the back of the plane, but you can't go forward. So wherever you are on the plane, you can't go forward towards the, the cockpit any further than where they have put your seat. So, like, you know, if they put you in the back, they don't trust you. Yeah. (laughs) I guess if you're on Air Force One at all, they probably trust you a little bit, but. Perhaps. Yeah. But then they don't know. Is it really him? Yeah. Hey, uh, this is really interesting, Jason. If you're on a plane, you know, you're not supposed to shoot a gun. That makes a lot of sense, I suppose. But on Air Force One, if they need to, Secret Service agents, they can shoot on sight. And it won't, first of all, hurt the plane because it's you know, bulletproof. And second of all, it's necessary if it's on Air Force One, I suppose. If you have to shoot somebody, it's necessary. That's some pretty crazy stuff. So the uh, executive suite also, I'm sure you've seen many pictures of it uh, and different pictures on, on Air Force One, as well as reproductions in shows like House of Cards and stuff like that. But, you know, there are a few sofas, there's a workout room, there's a bathroom, there's a uh, a sink and a shower and everything else like that. Uh, there's a conference room. There's a giant plasma screen. Uh, there's a there's a, pretty much anything you could possibly need while you're flying around in the sky. And on top of all that, they can refuel it while it's flying. So if there's definitely somewhere you need to get or uh, a crisis you need to avert, um, you don't have to ever land. Yeah. Nice amenities aboard the plane and you can be up there for a very, very long time. There's talk of replacing the current 747s with new Boeing 747-8s or an Airbus, which does not seem un-American to have a non-American plane. I don't know how you could put an Eagle on it, that's for sure. Yeah, but there's talk about it. You know, airplanes are more fuel efficient, and actually it will be a Boeing 747 8 that will take the president into the future. There's all kinds of other airplanes that presidents have flown in. You know, President Johnson, he flew in a Beechcraft King Air B-90, and uh, he flew around in that. We mentioned earlier about the president taking commercial flights. Well, get this. Back in 1973, President Nixon, they were like, Hey, we're in Dulles, Washington, Dulles, that is. We need to get to L.A. We need to save fuel. (laughs) Hey, United, (laughs) will you fly us there? So what they did was they flew a United Airlines airplane, and that 
plane was designated as Executive One for that flight. Right, yeah. And, of course, there's the helicopter that the president often flies in called Marine One. And the Marine Corps actually operates that. I wonder if the Air Force is jealous. I'd be kind of like, hey, what's up with that? Yeah. We fly helicopters too. Right. Right? Kind of? Maybe? I I I don't know. If you're in the Air Force and you know if the Air Force operates helicopters as well, let us know. Maybe they don't. Yeah. I guess we could Google it, but we'll forget. You can ask your nephew. I'm sure he'd know. Yeah, true. (laughs) (laughs) So in uh, November of 1999, President Clinton flew from Ankara, uh, Turkey to... So in 1999, President Clinton was in Turkey and he needed to fly from one place to another there in that country. And they flew aboard a C-20C, Gulfstream 3. And they used the call sign Air Force One. (laughs) But get this. It was escorted by three F-16s. Don't mess around with the president. In 2000, and they, I'm sure they do this uh, often, President Clinton actually flew to Pakistan on a Gulfstream 3, and then it was unmarked. So like nobody knew that was the president coming out. Well, I'm sure somebody knew, but most people didn't know. And then there's a diversion a few minutes later that gets reported, and it is marked Air Force One, but it's actually not Air Force One. So... Um, sometimes they have to throw a little diversion on there to make sure the president's safe. Some co- covert action going on. Yeah. <laughs> so there have been other times that, well, the chief executive has flown in other types of aircraft. When uh, you remember that famous speech George W. Bush gave aboard the aircraft carrier, and he's like, mission yep. accomplished. Yep. Well, he flew in the co-pilot seat of a plane, and that plane was called Navy One. Huh. Uh, in 2009, Barack Obama decided he wanted to take Michelle on a date. And Why the, not? the president took her to New York City in a Gulfstream C-37B. Um, it did cost the taxpayers $206,000 an hour, but there's been worse u- uses of government money. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, basically, what we're saying is that the president's flying. He's in Air Force One, and Air Force One has evolved, and it's pretty cool. And if you want Ben and Jason to be able to fly in planes and go places and tell you about things like Mount Rushmore, which we're probably never going to do. We're probably never going to go to Mount Rushmore together. But why not? Uh, You can can pick up the dueling letters and help us out. It is an audiobook about the letters between Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr that you can pick up for uh, just a few bucks. Yeah. And what gets us flying high... Is when we get a review (laughs) on iTunes. It took you just a moment, Ben. Seriously, though, we really appreciate any comments that you can lend to us. It helps get our podcast in front of more people just like you. For sure. Thanks, everybody. And we will talk to you on the next episode of Election College. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.